Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 at Peach Tubes podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. The play-in tournament is just around the corner. The Hawks have a game with Miami tomorrow night. I'm here with Glenn Willis to talk all things Hawks and playing and NBA and whatever else you want to talk about. Uh, where do we start, Glenn? I think we start with, um, you know, two big games, one against Miami. Not sure who's going to play for Miami in that game on Friday night since they clinched the number one seed tonight, Thursday night. And then Houston, who has, uh, if Hawks fans have not been paying attention, not a good record, but they've been um, plucky. <laughs> I could say that, um, you know, at, at times too. So the Hawks need to win these two. And uh, that's where I think my attention is right now. What did you think of the game against the Wizards last night that the Hawks won, but they kind of, you know, they, they left the door open for a little while and they had their fair share of troubles with Kristaps Porzingis. Yeah, I thought the first half was mostly about the Wizards making jump shots and then finally they started getting to the rim um, when uh, the Hawks were playing an undersized lineup, you know, uh, Kong with five with some time with Hunter at four and um, and the Wizards have some lineups where they can present a lot of a lot of size so you know they started with Chris Stapps at five and then for a time went to uh, Gafford at the five and Chris Stapps at the four um, and I you know I said as much on Twitter but I thought DeLon Wright really was the key to them finding some defensive footing in the second half he was keeping them organized in the backside of, of the play um, the Wizards kept putting DeLon uh, into the low man position, and DeLon was, uh, you know, finding a way to kind of keep them organized and, and getting some help to the rim, uh, helping everyone shade, um, you know, the, the, towards the, the pick and roll and just in just the right way and kept them kept them on plan. Uh, and so, you know, it was two different defensive halves completely. And uh, I thought the lawn minutes since I could have on defense were really what opened it up. The Hawks never really had a tr- any trouble scoring um, in that game, really at any point, apart from when DeAndre Hunter was driving the basketball, <laughs> which was a total struggle for him <laughs> all night long. Otherwise, I thought they had kind of, you know, really good uh, offensive results the whole night. So, you know, more of the kind of the frustrating feeling of, it, you know, it feels like you're watching a team that's trying to figure out how much defense do we really have to play, you know, that thing all over again. Um, but I felt like DeLon got in and kind of got them to be really serious on defense on the second half somehow, and, and it, it, it made a difference. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, the day where that's not the consistent feeling you have watching this team in the first half of any game is them trying to gauge how much defense, you know, is necessary to to project themselves for a win got to get past that somehow well i've i've been marveling at clint capella's defense for the last couple of weeks i mean it just seems like he's at a point where he's moving better and just Mm -hmm. controlling everything around the rim but i was frustrated in the first half against the wizards because he was just you know he's stuck in a pick and roll action 26 feet from the rim out at the top of the key is that where he should be? I mean, even if it's Porzingis, can, can you live with somebody else guarding Porzingis and, and have him guard, you know, Hachimura or Avia or somebody else and say, you know what, 
you know, here's a spot where, you know, you might be out of the action, but a little bit closer to the rim, better, better spot for rebounding or like when a team plays five out like that, what, where, where is he supposed to go if, if they suck him to the top like that? Well, I mean, I think the, the easy example to pull from in terms of what might be possible is thinking about what Boston was, has been doing most <laughs> of the season with Robert Williams, right? Put him on the yes. floor put, or put him over spotting up in the corner and let him kind of free safety, you know, that, that half of the floor, that lower court quadrant, if you will. Um, and which has worked amazingly for them. Of course, of course he's hurt now um, and they're um, m- missing him um, for sure. But Boston has built up to that, right? That that's not something I, I think right. it's like you can do on the fly. The back to back, yeah. Right, right. Um, and I mean, it's just not a thing they've asked Clint to do all season long. Here they were in game eighty, and so it seems a little bit unrealistic um, from that from that standpoint. Now, coming into the game, um, you had to know that Washington's been playing Chris Epps at five, and they've been playing five out to start games. And things like that, but it's that's not like the Hawks have not seen it before. They've gone up against Jokic, you know, Embiid at times spends a lot of time, you know, on the top of the key, especially the first quarter of the game. Um, and there are others, but it just so happened that Chris Epps was making his shots, and, and I think that's that's really the difference is that there's, there's some shooting variance there, and, and of course. The Hawks' defensive activity wasn't overall wasn't high enough, but I, right. I don't know that the solution was to necessarily try to make that big of a change uh, on the fly. Now, if you get, if you go into a series with a team that has that capability, um, if, you know, whoever, a team that, for, for example, gets matched up with Chicago, even though Vucevic has not had the all-star kind of level season he had the last few years in Orlando, you still have to be prepared to have your center dragged up high uh, on, on the floor. You have to kind of be prepared to deal with that. But it, it's, it's kind of funny to watch um, – a period where the Hawks looked like they were struggling matched up with Washington more than in some ways they were matching up with Brooklyn because two of the most dynamic scorers in the league, just because Washington could so easily get Capella up out of the paint and to, you know, which makes your question very fair. Like what can they do? Um, if this were a playoff series, I think there'd be more things on the table than like you said, a second night of a back-to-back game 80. Uh, you're going to mostly stick <laughs> things you've been doing all year long and kind of figure it out. And the whole, I mean, and I felt like, you know, both teams were on back-to-back, right? And so I felt like the jump shooting was probably going to degrade in the second half if the Hawks just rebounded and kind of kept themselves uh, organized elsewhere, they'd be fine. And sure enough, the Wizards did stop making jump shots. And thankfully, on the Hawks' side, Bogey kept making shots. Herder kept making shots. Trey um, made shots, timely shots. Um, and he, he was setting up his teammates, you know, all night so it, it was it's one of those things where it's like okay glad to see them get the separation they got in the third quarter it, but it also feels like it should be at the macro level a little easier than that but at the same time the the, the wizards were shooting above their baseline you know in, in the first half even if we have to be honest to say the Hawks' defensive activity wasn't where it needed to be too skylar mays had his contract converted from yeah. a two-way deal to a regular NBA level contract is, I mean, the idea there is basically just he's insurance for whatever playoff action they get. Is that, am I misunderstanding something there? Or does that sound right? Well, I think that's true uh, for sure. And, and it leads me to believe that the eight man rotation we saw against Washington is what we're going to see 
in the postseason and that um and that the Hawks want to be prepared to play Delon more minutes which might mean you need if Lou can't go especially right uh, another option to kind of to kind of get thrown out there to free up Delon to play on the wing quote on the wing as much as you might need him to you know for for those defensive purposes so that makes sense to me and on top of that I think I should say I wonder uh, and imagine that it's true that a lot of these guys um, that in their second or third year going into a two-way contract might have a bit of a soft agreement that hey you know I'm I'm on the uh, I'm an upper tier player to go on to a two-way contract so what I'd like to have is an agreement that if there's a roster spot open by the end of the season that I get converted um, mainly for the purpose of uh, helping these guys avoid kind of the, the, the two-way hell that um, the restricted free agency, restricted free agency, these guys on two-way contracts, they end up in, which is just, you know, a nightmare. Um, and so I, I, I do wonder if the Hawks were like, hey, you know, Skyler come back on the two-way. He, he signed really late on that contract. So that, that, that makes it, you know, clear to me that he was looking for a better deal. Um, you know, which he has every reason to kind of believe in himself there. He's a capable uh, guy. Um, but I do sometimes wonder, I'm not saying this was the case here, but I wonder a lot of these more kind of veteran, you know, season kind of quasi rotation players that end up there sometimes might get an agreement that if there is a roster spot that they'll get converted so they can get out of that restricted free agency limbo that's there. So, but I, I think they may need them. You know, I think Sharif is not, you know, Sharif won't be eligible to play in the playoffs. Yeah, eligible now. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I know some people asked about that, but, uh, um, you know, I think Skyler is a guy. If you need to throw him out there when there, if there's foul trouble or whatever, give you you know three. Literally, the playoffs is like three minutes here, three minutes there is a big deal to just have a competent guy. And you know, I, I you know, I, I I think it could have been both objectives: make him playoff eligible and get him out of this restricted free agency nightmare that these guys on two-way contracts can find themselves in. <clears throat> is is there a team in this play-in mix that the Hawks should want to play, shouldn't want to play? Like who? <laughs> like I, I don't know what to make of some of these teams. Like which Cleveland are they going to get? Are they going to have Jared Allen back? Are they going to have Evan Mobley back? And if they do, which version of those guys do you see? Is is Charlotte frisky? Or are the Nets as good as their reputation? Like. Uh, my my head is like confused trying to process like obviously they need to be in the seven eight doesn't matter what the matchups are you want one game versus two games but like you know if you're in that seven eight game like who do you want to play or if, if you are in the nine ten game like which team do you want to fall down there with you like I, I'm, I'm i'm sort of torn on a lot of these i i don't know what to expect yeah i don't know how likely it is but i think if i had to pick I would pick Charlotte just because their center play is so questionable that the Hawks, I think, could do a lot with that. I think they'd struggle to contain Trey. I know they'll play more switchable lineups, but they're they're um, legitimately <laughs> uh, a terrible defensive team, which, which kind of makes me laugh because the other night they gave up, what, 144 to Philadelphia, I think, a couple right. days ago. Yeah. And, I, and I had to go look like, and I said to myself before I went to look, surely they have a worse defensive rating than the Hawks now. <laughs> and they don't. The Hawks still have a worse defensive rating. So 
that's the way you have to, you know, I don't want to sound uh, ignorant about <laughs> what I'm talking about, how bad Charlotte is on defense here. But I, I do think the Hawks should be able to kind of put pressure on the rim the whole game against them. Uh, their Charlotte plays fast, which can, in my mind, add a lot of kind of variance and kind of random stuff to a game. And yeah. so in a, in a you must win or you're going home kind of situation, um, they're a little bit scary in that sense. But I still think they're the easy, I think they're the team that you should have the best chance to beat. Um, next, I will put Cleveland just because they're not playing a lot of confidence right now. Um, yeah. The Hawks would need the Hawks would need to rebound really well in that game, and that's something you know. When I went on um, <clears throat> Brad's podcast to talk with him, we talked about how uh, the rebounding had been so important to this Hawk, good Hawk stretch that they've had. Um, but that would be you know kind of critical there. And for, for for me, Brooklyn, it you know I I don't know why anyone would ever pick Kevin Durant to, to be the, on the other team in a game that you, you know, <laughs> win or win or go home kind of situation. Yeah. I, I know, I know Brooklyn has all sorts of issues. Patty Mills is not making shots. You know, when the Hawks won earlier in the week, Seth Curry didn't play that game. He's been playing since he's going to play, um, you know, and, and on and on. And they struggle to kind of defend the rim as well. And they'll play minutes with KD at the five as well. But I just can't imagine every anyone looking at Cleveland, Charlotte, Brooklyn and saying, sign me up to uh, go into a game against Kevin Durant, a game I have to win or my season's over. I, that, that'd be my last choice. You see it any differently? Uh, I, something about Charlotte bothers me. I just don't I, – I agree with you and, and just somehow they – they seem to defend the Hawks okay with some switchable lineups. I don't know. Montrez might be a weird matchup with a Kong Wu. I, I don't know. I just, I mean, I guess part of that is that if I think if they play Charlotte, it would be in the 9 10, not in the 7 8. So that's not necessarily ideal. But I, I think Cleveland, right. I think it's going to be hard to incorporate two guys at the last minute coming back from injury that, that right. they're not going to be fully up to speed when they do come back. And it's not like the, uh, it's not like Cleveland has uh, run a tight ship without them. So they're going to be trying to get their, their groove back. So I, I kind of, I think maybe Cleveland, like if, if you can get them in the seven, eight and you get two chances at it and you catch them without a groove, I, I'm still not necessarily a big believer in their offense, especially in a, in a situation where you got a couple of days to game plan and you're not just kind of catching them, you know, game 45, second night of a back-to-back kind of situation. So I, I, I guess Cleveland, I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. I think part of what might show up in the in Hawks fans kind of psyche is their memory of so many playoff games against the Cavaliers where Kevin Love just drained a three-point shot of a three-point <laughs> shot of a three-point shot and just yeah. feeling like, oh, man, we've got to, like, uh, encounter that possibility, uh, which you see, she seems to shoot the ball really, really well against the team in the playoffs. So there could be a little uh, PTSD stuff kind of going on there in terms of what Hawks fans think about um, the Cavs doing in, in a potential matchup. But I, I don't think there's any way to argue with that. I, I think Charlotte is – a weird team cleveland is really well coached um but they're under skilled um from a ball handling standpoint and a creation right. standpoint in the backcourt yes. 
which which uh, limits their ability to expose the Hawks' defensive deficiencies uh, in, in a way that the other two teams really aren't. I mean, Lamelo obviously can get to his spots, and Rozier is uh, strangely. Um, I mean, you talk about rolling the dice like good Rozier, bad Rozier, um, but he is not hesitant at all about putting up open shots, and, and when he's knocking them down, things tend to click. Um, and then, you know, facing Miles Britton, Miles Britton is presumably without JC is, that's tough. I mean, that's a tough matchup for Gallo, for example. How do you play Clinton Gallo when they go with PJ and Miles at the five and four, you know, and, and kind of make that work? Gallo is going to have to play the four a lot of minutes. Um, and that's, Cleveland, in a sense, is a better matchup from that vantage point than uh, than Charlotte. So I, th- I think there's some real consideration there to, to, to think about which one you'd rather have. But um, when you know, I, I know that based on past conversation, you and I agree. Just get into seven eight, give yourself two games to get one win, and uh, face the team that you draw and uh, and get in. That's how I face it. It's kind of funny now to see Miami number one to think about. Um, you know, no one would want to set themselves up to have to win um, that second game, you know, to uh, to kind of get in to the eight seed, you know, um, if that's how it goes. Well, that's his house. You have to, you have to be in that, that part of the bracket. But because Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly are going to be somewhere between two, three, four, and Miami just seems more vulnerable than those other teams uh, at, at the moment. Um, I don't want to be you know, disrespectful of what they can do, but they just seem to not be firing on all cylinders. And you know, they're a better team. Maybe it kind of comes together. But I think if you're picking, you know, how do you want to line up? I, I think you, I think AC wants to face Miami instead of Milwaukee. Um, don't know how team, I don't know how NBA teams are feeling about Philadelphia right now, but Joel Bede's pretty good <laughs> and pretty tough. Um, and then, you know, Boston's just playing so well, then I, I'm kind of starting to throw Toronto in the mix too. Like who wants to play Toronto right now? You know, not the Hawks. Uh, right. And, uh, <laughs> cause Toronto is on an amazing run, you know, and especially considering that Fred Van Vliet is yeah. really limited on that knee. I mean, what Pascal Siakam is doing to really kind of create, you know, be their primary creator, which I don't think he's so naturally suited to do, but man, I, you know, this is going to be. I think a really great playoffs in the East. I, I hope the Hawks get through and they're part of it. Is there anything else about the Hawks that you want to throw out there? I got a couple of things I could throw out there, but go for um, it. Um, uh, What's on your list? Kevin Herter. Like he's do, been good. Do the, do the Hawks use him enough? Is there like some capacity for him to be doing more that maybe he just doesn't get the opportunity to do? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't view it as a problem. Um, I, I view it as good that he can scale up sometimes if he, if he needed to. Um, but it's a little odd because bogey's been like really hot and cold you know the last few weeks right and thankfully there's been enough hot to really help out there right um but when bogey's really going the hawks don't need as much reporter you know um it's when bogey kind of is not making shots and not kind of getting into the actions that kind of work for him where they need a little bit more from him but i would say is the hawks 
are going to need more from Herder because the deeper the, the Hawks get, however deep they get, the other teams are going to be throwing more and more and more and more at Trey. Right. And we, you know, and we, I think we all remember the really good moments from Herder last year when the Hawks made the run to the conference finals. But there were other games where he was struggled, you know, offensively. I, I thought he brought the defensive uh, impact pretty much the whole playoffs last year. Um, but I, I, I think the, what the thought your question elicits for me is that they're going to need more from him than he has given them at times. And sometimes that's about opportunity. And other times uh, he looks a little hesitant to kind of step up and be that aggressive. I, I think these last, what, this week and a half or so has been the best he's played all season long, in, in my mind. Uh, he's been just knocking down shots, not hesitating on shots. Uh, even when he gets the ball, short shot clock scenario, he knows his spot he wants to get to and making enough of those. And and so you know, that makes you feel encouraged. But, you know, Trey is obviously the focal point. Trey's obviously the head of the snake. Can Kevin kind of stay in that um, in that mind space of, okay, I'm not going to be the primary attacker, but I've got to be ready to jump in and help on any position where the ball is forced out of Trey's hands to attack the backside. Uh, I think the Hawks, as you know, talked about, can do stuff and run specific actions to help him uh, get into uh, better leverage scenarios and situations and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's going to require him to be in that mental space of I'm ready to attack when the ball comes to me. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by how he's played of late. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think for him, it's most it's going to be oftentimes an organic thing, either the game flow, it kind of brings those opportunities to him or it doesn't, you know, if a team's running straight drop against Trey and Trey's just tearing that up, not going to need as much um, help from Kevin. The other team's switching, doing a really good job of switching or running something like a, a box in one, like Toronto will throw at you sometimes and things like that, then there's going to be a different situation. So um, I, I don't view it as a problem. I just hope that Kevin's ready to kind of keep building on how he's been playing of late and, and be that secondary um, reliable secondary source of offense that he can be. And when you, when Bogey's playing well, as was the case last postseason, and you have Trey Herter and Bogey all on the court together and you're maximizing those minutes as much as you can, they can click at a really, really high level, but Kevin's got to do his part for sure. You, you kind of hit on at the end, the thing that I'm interested in kind of, I guess, kind of to go along with that. Like, how do you, balance sort of the whole DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, you know, bogey situation with your three wings. It seems like the Hawks do best. I'm like frantically trying to get my numbers here, but it seems like they really thrive in the Herter Bogdanovich minutes. Like that just seems to to be the moments when they really make teams uncomfortable in a way that they don't necessarily like I understand that there are going to be some nights where the Hawks have to react and they have to have a hunter out there defensively, but it seems like, you know, if they can get away with it, that maybe their best lineup is, is, is bogey and herder. And that's, that's what was there. Obviously Hunter went down with the injury, but for first, I can't remember first or second game of the playoffs last year in the middle of the second game, I think was what happened. Um, and, and then they rode Trey herder, Badanovich. Hard, you know, right. significantly, uh, kind of the rest of the way. 
Um, you know, eventually Tony Snell got played out of the rotation. They stopped playing him eventually. Solo got basically managed out of the rotation. They stopped playing him and it was heavy minutes. And I do think that's their best offensive one, two, three uh, there. And and I, I can even in my own memory kind of think back on how many times Herder and Bogdanovich were running stuff between the two of them on the backside instead of one of them with the four, you know, or a big, a big you know, operating there. Um, one attacking the heart of the defense from the backside and the other one kind of lifting to the three-point break and kind of that synergy they have there. So I, I, I definitely that's, think that's the way to go. I think it's going to be a little easier to make <laughs> that um, lineup available with JCL. And, I, and I'll, I'll be surprised if he plays again, but you know, Hunter's going to have to help with minutes at the forwards. I think opens up the right. possibility of playing that. But Hunter's been inconsistent enough in my mind that if you get into a game and it's not clicking for him and he's not maybe um, as um, as uh, necessary defensively, but just because of whatever kind of game plan might be working for them. I mean, I mean, they closed against the Wizards without Hunter. You know, they also closed without Capella. And Capella's been their best <laughs> defensive player, you know, for right. a long time now. Um, but that was the second night of back-to-back. But I, I, I'm not going to be surprised to see um, if, if we get into a seven-game series, the Hawks can kind of get there. A lot of situations where the Hawks are closing with Trey, Herter, Bogey, Gallo, Capella, typically. And there have been some cases where if a Kongu kind of really has it going, they'll they'll uh, play Clint heavy like the first eight minutes of the fourth quarter and go back if they need a fresh um, kind of uh, big man there. But I, I definitely think that's the way to go. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how it shakes out. I I think there's some opportunity there that that that, that kind of goes with the scaling up of Herder right. somehow or other. I, I'm I'm intrigued, and I especially to kind of see it again in the second playoff setting. I'm not necessarily rooting for the Hawks. I'm 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 not really a rooter, but. Right. Uh, I would like to just see it because the, the the one thing that's disappointing about the plane is that if you, you know, you lose a game or if you're nine, 10, or if you lose two games in that seven, eight, that's it. And you just, you don't know well, what, what kind of playoff team was this going to be? Right. You never get to see it. Like I, I want the Hawks to advance just because I want to see what it looks like. I think just, you know, from an information standpoint that there's something to be gained to, to see them in a second go around good, bad, or otherwise, just as long as they, get some actual games where you get to to see the product and what it looks like yeah it's interesting to kind of look at the list of teams are like against charlotte if they're playing small you know you're gonna need hunter playing at the four sure you know um brooklyn i don't know how you don't play hunter third like 38 minutes i mean (laughs) you know i mean how do you not do that right i don't i I really don't know how you try to make that happen cleveland you may not need him uh, quite as much in fact you might need more rebounding at the four you know w- however you might feel like you can get that um there's no good there's no good way to get that to be honest not no, not with the, the healthy players that they have like who like how do you juice the re- rebounding against cleveland if you don't have collins like they just there's not a lot of options for that there's not um um but i it just depends on like do you potentially close with Delon defending garland you know, or do you put, or, or I, I presume in that, in that matchup, you've got the first two and a half quarters to figure out how's Hunter doing on Garland, 
right? Is he having an impact on him? Or then when Delon's on, if Delon's on and, and taking that assignment, what's going better? How's it going better there? Um, and of course, if you're going to think about closing with Delon, are you taking off Herter or Bogdanovich? Or, you know, are you playing four guards, which the Hawks really have not done at all this year, apart from just a couple of examples but i mean but maybe you have a little bit more time and space to plan for that you know so so there's those matchups against miami you know you you got to chase shooters up the floor through those screens right and that seems like you might need herder i mean sorry hunter to kind of do that against milwaukee they typically defend Giannis with the center you know so you know maybe Hunter is less necessary there, depending on what Chris Middleton's doing in that game. I guess Boston, I go back to, you've got to have Hunter on the court defensively against Boston, right? I don't, yeah. I don't know how you survive that. So right. it really is going to be kind of matchup dependent. Even if it's Philly, you know, um, what, what does Harden have going that game? And is, it seems like Hunter's going to have to take a, a lot of the Harden minutes that are there. I don't know where else they go, you know, with that. So it really is going to be matchup dependent, but this team is going to win games primarily through their offensive output. And I think your point that Trey Herter bogey are the one, two, three, that kind of gives them the highest offensive ceiling. I think that's true. I think you have to find ways to make that unit available to play together as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, I just think that the, the one point is almost obvious. Like that's their best offensive one, two, three setup, but I think it's like, it's their best overall one, two, three setup when you can get away with it. I, but obviously there's times when you can't now actually, maybe I was being too dismissive a minute ago. When, when I was talking about, well, you know, how do you juice the rebounding against a team like Cleveland? Like in my mind, you can't play a Kong Wu and Capella. Like you're just not going to see that. No, because they haven't prepped a Kongwu in any way to be an offensive player if he's not the center. Like, right. they, they, that just can't happen, right? Like, you can't just, well, we need rebounds, put a Kongwu. Like, that's, no. that's never going to happen, is it? It's not. And you're, if you're going to do something like that, it's going to be way more likely to be Gorgie because at least Gorgie can spot up. Right. All right. Um, and, and Gorgie's played some power forward in his career. It's, I mean, Against a certain against some Cleveland lineup, for example, I think that's possible. Against Brooklyn, you got you're never going to see that. Against Charlotte, you're unlikely to see that. But against Cleveland, which I think was what your question was, yeah, it, it, you're, I don't think you're going to throw Congo out there with Capella. I think it's Gorgie because Gorgie can spot up and and do do the things that they ask for, um, like Gallo to do with the four, JC to do with the four when they're spotting up. Um, so that that's what I would expect if they want to do something half crazy like that. It would be Gorgie. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't presuming something and, and uh, I was inaccurate in making a presumption. Is there anything else that, that, you know, we should talk about? I feel like we should talk about Trey, like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, he's just, you know, averaging 30 and 10 over the last 20 games and kind of the catalyst for them being like 19 and at home in their last 22 games. Like, I don't know. Like he's really good. I, I don't. It's, it's almost like he's too good that that there's nothing to talk about. Like there's no problems to solve. I mean, you're trying to hide him on defense. There, there have been some games where he's looked pretty good on defense, but like right. just an offense. My gosh. Like I. I mean, there's there's not much to say on a podcast except just a little bit of wonderment or something. I don't know. What do you... 
and, and it's funny because he's i mean he's a human being so this isn't you know a it's true of a statement but to simplify things like he always does his part on offense and he is obviously one of the single best offensive players in the whole league um and it, it, it he it's kind of funny he's so good that he makes it hard to just like you said it, it makes it hard to talk about on the podcast like well of course trey's gonna do that of course trey's gonna be a genius in the pick and roll of course trey's gonna um kind of see every pass and, and and get his guys going and of course Trey's gonna you know be trying to counter anything that he was I mean it's funny because we should be talking about him but it's like we would be saying the same thing on every podcast you yeah. know we've done all season long Trey's doing what Trey does um you know I I've been uh forthright like on Twitter that I don't really want to get arguments about awards or all NBA because I, right. I think you know but I, I think it, if someone said, Glenn, does Trey deserve to be on All-NBA? I think it's an absolute no-brainer that he does. Uh, yeah. you know, I think he's been one of the best 15 players um, this year. I think he's been one of the best six guards uh, this year. I thought when Harden went to Philly that Harden would have a strong finish to the season to kind of potentially bump Trey. Yeah. Uh, that hasn't happened. <laughs> that has not happened. Um, uh, and then you kind of look around the league, um, you know, has Jimmy played – enough games for example now some some voters are saying miami's number one seed they got to get an all player right but the voters might be able to decide whether that should be bam number of games jimmy number of you know who is that person um and you know people have weird feelings all over the place about like a guy like chris middleton Kyrie didn't play much so you know to me it's a no-brainer i think trey should be in there but i think there's some understandable apprehension that Hawks fans who are really invested in that happening have about whether the voters are actually paying attention to what Trey's doing. Um, so in my mind, I'm like, I'll just wait and find out, you know, I'm not going to get worked up about it, but I understand Hawks fans kind of getting worked up a bit about it. I, I think some of the things that we'll see on Twitter are, are just the amount of time people are spending on this <laughs> on Twitter. I mean- and nor and yeah. the other you know normally you could dismiss it and just say you know it's just awards it doesn't matter like Trey is Trey and he does his thing but like right. it matters for him this time there's a lot of money riding on this for yeah. him yeah. which is a whole other conversation about whether that should be the case or not but certainly there is a lot of money <laughs> yeah you know um so you know I, I I hope he gets it because I think he deserves it uh yeah. and I I enjoy seeing Hawks fans um kind of enjoying uh the team doing well and getting attention getting notoriety so long as people aren't taking it to kind of absurd level which definitely happens um but i think he's deserving and uh hopefully he gets in there i've been i've been worried um about him getting his kind of uh fair amount of support for it from voters i think the way things are shaking out shaking out uh, i'm feeling a little better about it although you never know what voters are going to do um so yeah but right. I, I mean it's i think he finished what the yes the straw poll that montance does last time he did that with mvp i think trey was like 13th um which was i think the maybe the last name that he was showed up on the straw poll you think he should be doing a little better from an mvp standpoint you think he should be like not that I want to go through an exercise and like list us, you know, names of 
I mean, they, yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing about MVP voting is like, well, how many names do you get to vote for? Because like, if you get to put five? in five, you put in five names and you know, most people are going to put in five other names. And then it's just, right. you know, when you, when you talk about players six to 10, you're never really going to get them an, an accurate ranking of players six to 10. Sure. It's just going to be, what kind of strays did they catch along right. the way? Because right. nobody ranked them one to 10. Everybody ranked one to five and is ranking the same one to five, except for a few oddballs. And then, and you know, whatever, I don't think you can put a lot of stock in it. And that there's one where I definitely don't care enough to get deep in, deep into the leaves for that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Actually, he's, like, Trey said something interesting last night. Like he was, he was being asked about uh, like that fort was it fourteen point explosion where it was like fourteen points in in like two and a half minutes. I may have my numbers wrong. Maybe it was twelve or something. But you know, he was talking about the threes because I think it was like a pair of free throws and then a pair of threes and then a bunch more free throws to finish. But you know, yeah. in talking about the threes, he's like he says them like you know, I'm still kind of feeling out my way on those, uh, those off the dribble threes. And I was like, my goodness, like, like he, he didn't sound entirely confident. Like he said, I'm still trying to get, get a real good feel for those. And it's like, my, well, you know, <laughs> you're already in like the 96th percentile of NBA players and in, in terms of comfort level with that shop, right. but uh, you know, he's a perfectionist and, and he has really high expectations for himself. Yeah. I'll say. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, and it's funny, like, thinking about the way the MVP voting goes. I, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, people kind of like to, to take extreme examples and poke fun, but, like, there's going to be, you know, potentially one or two voters that cover the Hawks in some way. They're going to put Trey fifth, you know. And it, it's, I know some people like, oh, Homerism, just like, you know, there's gonna, if there are Boston voters, they're going to get Tatum fourth, you know, potentially or fifth or, you know, but the reality is these voters need goodwill with the team's PR departments to kind of get the access, the level of access they want. And, and you know, that stuff matters. These people that are voting have, in some ways, partially have to think about, am I going to piss off someone that I really need to work well with and to, to have be really agreeable to help me get the access I want. And I'm never going to begrudge someone, you know, throwing a, a, a person fifth on their ballot because of something like that. No, now don't put, you know, Jason Tatum first, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Tatum. Tatum's been awesome this year, but he's not the MVP. Um, but, you know, don't do something like that extreme, but, you know, that's going to show up. That stuff's going to show up where, you know, people kind of choose a, a guy to put fifth to get, a little bit of kind of representation on uh, ballot results and things like that. And I get it. I get it. You know, that that's not the kind of um, uh, coverage I'm trying to kind of provide or go after or whatever, but there are people who are access journalists that need that desperately need that to, to do the best job that they can. And, and I get it. So that's, that's going to, that's what's going to create the noise and who finishes and then you be raised six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10 is that stuff. I, I think. The trail two, two hours of outrage. We'll all get over it very quickly. I I know I will. <laughs> yeah, right. I know the, the, I, word, the word show are, takes. Are there any topics so. that you have to throw out here at the end? Uh, which one? Just one quick question. Which team besides the Hawks in the East are you most ex- interested to watch in the playoffs this year? Is it Toronto at this point? No, no. <laughs> I it's knew you were going to say that. It's not. No. Um, 
I mean, Utah's kind of, you know, like they we've we've doused them with gasoline, and you see if somebody's going to throw the match, and all of a sudden that's going to send the players. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell's I, running around with a book book of matches. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But on the East, is there a team in the East that you're just like really curious? Like, how are they going to do? Like, is, so I think Philly yeah, is interesting. I, I'm actually Boston's... more interested in the West. I guess I I want to see if if I don't know. I'm I'm interested in Phoenix. I'm interested in Memphis. I'm interested in Dallas, Utah. I, mean, I think those are all interesting, compelling storylines. I guess I'm kind of interested in Chicago, Cleveland. They kind of feel like cinderella stories in december that just you know it's it's midnight is come and gone and now i don't know if i'm getting my fairy tales right here but <laughs> it just feels like time's up for both of them and i mean i guess it would be interesting if uh, if i'm wrong but i'm kind of interested in milwaukee like i just feel like always the whole pj tucker thing is is a big difference maker yeah I don't know that they have the horses inside if 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 they don't have somebody like him. So I, I'm kind of interested in them. Maybe Miami. I think Miami is an interesting team. So Miami and Milwaukee, I guess. There's a lot that I'm not interested in. I, I'm kind of interested in Brooklyn and the Hawks. Yeah. Like I said, I want to see the Hawks. I kind of want to know. Like they they did a lot last year, you know, even apart from the fact that I you know, that's the team that we're talking about and covering it. Just, I think they're interesting given what they did last year and how they're finishing and how Trey's finishing. So I guess in the East, Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Atlanta, and then I, I would be much more interested in Toronto if they had the real Fred Van Bleet. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. Miami, the thing for me is like, I think they seem more vulnerable than the other teams in that one through four or whatever, whatever you want to outline. But can Kyle and Jimmy scheme their way through? <laughs> I mean, they are so right. savvy, you know, so that's interesting to me. Milwaukee is always interesting just because they can play at such a high level defensively. Um, right. But because PJ's not there, they're going to have to ask a lot of Bobby Portis. And can Bobby mm -hmm. Portis have steady play all the way through or not, right? Yeah. Um, Boston, Boston. I think Celtics fans are understandably excited about this team, but I just think they don't have as high of a ceiling as some of these as the as other teams do, like Milwaukee and Philly. And then Philly is like, does Harden help? Like, I'm not. I mean, it seems kind of crazy to ask that question, but if you if you've been watching him play, he doesn't seem, you know. I mean, they're really running things for Maxi a ton. Um. You know, and uh, and so that's just kind of kind of interesting to me. But I, I mean, I, I won't miss an opportunity to see what Miami does and to see how Kyle and Jimmy can kind of scheme their way through a game that they might have otherwise have no business <laughs> winning because <laughs> they are just so savvy. So I, I'm just generally excited about the Eastern Conference playoffs this year. I think there's definitely some interesting stuff in the West as well. I think Phoenix is just a lot better than everybody else. Uh, I think I don't think Memphis is going to have a playoff ceiling that reflects their play during the regular season. Uh, Utah seems like they're probably ready to kind of crash and burn. Um, um, I'd love to be surprised and, and have that not happen and, and kind of see what they can do. Um, and then the, with Dallas, it's like, uh, I still don't understand like how Jason Kidd has kind of get, been getting what he's been getting out of this team. Cause it's, uh, he's, 
he's either faking his way through his first season there or he's just a <laughs> fundamentally different coach than he was in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, um, so so we'll see. There's definitely interesting stuff in the West, man. You talk about Heat, Bucks, Celtics, how strong they've been, Toronto, how strong they've been, Philly, how intriguing they are with Harden and Embiid. Chicago were so good earlier in the season, same with Cleveland. And you got Brooklyn, I mean, and you got Trey and KD and Kyrie lurking there. Uh, not to be totally dismissive of Charlotte, but man, that Eastern Conference is gonna be fun. So just, yeah, um, I, I, I'm also, I mean, I don't know that we'll necessarily even get a finals matchup that reflects it, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in Phoenix. Can they, can they flex their collective muscle on, on the rest right. of the West? But I, like, I'm interested in, let's say Phoenix goes down early. Like, I kind of think the East is a lot better than the West, just like top to bottom one to 15. I agree. Like, I think the East is a lot better than the West. So like, I if if Dallas ends up in the finals or if Utah ends up in the finals, like do they just get slapped in the finals by some team that's much, much better than them? Like I think that would be interesting. Like I think if Phoenix makes it, you're not gonna say, oh, well, East is better than West. But you know, if if something happens to Phoenix or an injury, just a bad series, and some other team gets there, like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a shock to me if they just get throttled in the finals. Cause I, I don't I think there's a, a competitive imbalance at the moment where the east just has a lot more to going for it yeah and all it has to do with quiet pg right like yeah. jamal jamal denver's injuries yeah jamal, I mean, right uh, on and on the lakers not being relevant right um you know portland going into a rebuild so you don't have this dame juggernaut that's you know you know you're going in there so the west, the west is a completely different kind of um conference this year that's been in a long time but i agree with you i think you know the east is much more compelling a basketball to watch and that if to have a good finals we almost have to root for phoenix to get through you know to, to there <laughs> i mean i'm um, kind of curious I mean, though, dallas, I think dallas, it kind of dallas gets exposed right yeah for sure but i mean dallas sneaking in could be could be interesting yeah um you know but i, I don't i don't see it really elsewhere um but i mean you know yeah, as you know i spent a lot of time in minnesota so i'm I, I'd like to see the Timberwolves get out of the play-in and, and just kind of see if they can kind of keep their heads on straight <laughs> in the first series and see what, what they can do against a diminished Western Conference, right? So, that, you know, that there's some stuff going on there, but, man, uh, I, 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 I can't remember the last time the East was, like, this kind of stacked with interesting teams, intriguing players. You got Katie and Kyrie trying to, you know, come in from the bottom and upset the whole thing. You've got Miami without – you know, someone who's played like a superstar all season long, not one guy like that, you know, that has the top seed, you know, you got Milwaukee defending champions. Boston's been dominating the league for two months now, you know, straight up dominating the league for two months now. The Phillies can be in hard and click and Toronto, should we take them seriously? They, I mean, I find them so fun to watch, but I'm like you, like, they, I'm not going to take them that seriously once they get to the playoffs. They're just, they're just too limited in some areas. So, but I can't wait. A week from right now, we'll know if the Hawks are in or not. <laughs> so um, I hope they're in. But I'm going to have fun watching either way. Agree. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do it. And we'll have to do it again sometime soon when we have more clarity on what's going to sh- shake out of this play-in situation. Look forward to it. All right. Have a good night. And you. <laughs>